Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If he shows up to the Church of America, man, what notes is he making concerning the Church of America? Let him come in and inspect. Give him free access. Because whatever is in there that doesn't need to be in there, you want that out. It's going to do nothing but harm you. And it will do nothing but harm other people. And that's the issue with this story. The people setting up the tables were damaging the reputation of God, but they were also hurting innocent people. Let the Lord examine your heart. As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he encourages you to open your heart before God and let him clean out what's causing harm to you and to others. It's important to have self-reflection, prayer, and time spent in God's Word, because when you do, he can take the time to weed out some of the things that are actually unhealthy for you. Pastor James explains that when you don't allow God in, you can end up misrepresenting God to others. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 11 of chapter 11 of Mark. And I'm going to read from New King James today. It says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem. That's when he rode into there. And through the east gate, you got the Mount of Olives. He's riding down the Mount of Olives. The east gate faces the Mount of Olives, which uh, I failed to mention this to you yet, uh, last week. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to step down on the Mount of Olives, and that thing is going to split in half. And then he will go through the east gate once again. You know what the guys did in Jerusalem? You know what they did? They sealed up the east gate. They sealed it up with blocks. Um, they think that's going to keep Jesus out. Uh, I've been there. I've looked into the East Gate, and it's totally sealed up. And they're like, well, if he's coming back, we'll, we'll just put a bunch of stones here to keep him out. I'm like, good luck with that. Um, yeah, he does, he's going to split a mountain into when he shows up. You think blocks are going to keep him out? I don't think so. But he, in this story, he rode down the Mount of Olives, in through the East Gate, and the first place he went to, it says there in verse 11, when he looked around at all things, uh, he went into the temple. When he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he was camping out in Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. But he went in and went right to the temple where all the religious practices happened, the most holy place in Jerusalem. Jesus showed up, looked around, took some mental notes, said, all right, I'll be back, right? Terminator style, he's like, I'll be back. And uh, he'd already cleaned out the temple once before. When he first started off in the ministry, his earthly ministry, uh, the Gospel of John lets us know that. He went in there, he drove out the, the, the money changers, the tax collectors, all those, all those guys who were taking advantage of people. Well, three years later, they show back up. And it wasn't three years later, they, probably the next day when he left, they reestablished everything. But here he is. This is his final week. This is the Passion Week. And he shows up to church and he takes notes. And he's like, all right, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. They know, they already know, like, he's got that look in his eye. I bet if you were working one of those tables, you'd probably be like, oh, no, lock it down, man. Like, lock, or here, I'll just turn it over myself, right? Like, I'll save you the trouble. 
they know, like, because you know how, how that works. Like when mom or dad would show up in your room, and they look, and they're just taking notes. They're looking around. They're like, uh-huh, okay, I'll be back, <laughs> right? And then they give you the ultimatum. The ultimatum for the, for the religious leaders was already established at the beginning of his earthly ministry when he said, clean it up. Clean it up. Clean this room. They're, you're defiling a holy place. It was never meant to be like this. It was never meant to be like this. And if you don't want to clean it up, I'll clean it up for you. Have your parents ever tell you that? Yeah, I think I've said that to my kids before. And I'm like, I'm coming in with a trash bag. And I'm going to throw away your stuff that's not cleaned up. Because obviously it doesn't matter that much to you. So you can clean it up or you want me to clean it up. Jesus shows up again. He's like, I already cleaned this place once. But he's looking around. And here's the issue people have with this, as we'll get into the specific story itself. But I, this verse 11, the context of this, is absolutely key to the argument that Jesus sinned. Right? You've heard this probably before. They're like, well, Jesus never sinned. Oh, yeah? Well, he got mad. Well, getting mad is not a sin. Well, he threw over tables. He made a whip. He drove out animals. That sounds like sin to me. That's not sin. That's actually not sin. There's a thing called holy indignation, a holy kind of righteousness, a righteous anger. There are things in this world that should make us mad. Okay, don't be super pacifist. Like you think being a Christian means you're like, like you're, you're a doormat. You just gotta let everybody walk over you and just be okay with everything that happens. That's nonsense. That's not, that's not biblical. Jesus showed up and he was upset, righteously so, at what was happening in the temple. And people will come at you and say, well, well he sinned, he did this is how you know he did not sin, because he showed up and he took notes and then he walked away. He didn't start kicking over tables immediately. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep on this. I'll be back. He's going to turn over the tables. He's going to clean house. But he didn't have like this outburst of wrath. If he would have done that, he would have kicked over the tables and all that stuff then in that moment. He just showed up, made some observations. Oh, you guys put the tables back up again. Okay. Oh, you're, you're taking advantage of the people again. Okay, I'll come back. It's getting late. I'm going to go have a meal with my guys. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep well. I'm sure he slept really well. He probably prayed with the disciples as well. And then in the morning, he's going to show up to clean house again. I, I, I love this because the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And that's something that every Christian should exercise or should live out. That's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit that each and every one of us should be asking the Holy Spirit, please produce that in me, okay? Because you live in Southeast Texas, and Houston is right up the road, and if you've got to drive around in any of that, you better be praying for self-control, right? Because you get in that traffic. If you're like me, that's like the one fruit of the Spirit that does not bud in, on this branch sometimes, right? You're like, oh, here we go. Jesus shows up, says, okay, I don't like what I see, but I'll come back and deal with this. I'll come back and deal with this. If I was at the temple and I had already been there three years prior to that and saw Jesus walk in and take mental notes, I think I would have been like, you know, I think I'm going to close up shop. Um, I think I'm going <laughs> to, I know there's a lot of people in town today, but I think I'm just going to close up. I may call in sick tomorrow. But they don't get it. The religious leaders, the people working at the temple, they do not get it. They see him as the problem and not themselves. And Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to take notes. And praise God when Jesus shows up in our lives and he will take notes. 
he will evaluate this temple. Paul tells the church of Corinth, your body is the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. And Jesus has every right to show up whenever he wants and make some observations concerning this temple. What tables have you set up, James, that I tore down? What are you bringing back in that we already cleaned out once before? What are you allowing back in that I already drove out? You see, I'm no different than these guys in this story, if I'm honest. The thing is, is that now, being a follower of Christ, I welcome that inspection. I pray for that. Please, Lord, if there's anything in me, if there's any table I've set up that doesn't need to be there, will you please, Lord, help me to get, get that out, to get rid of that thing? I want to be usable. I, I want to be usable in the way that you have intended me to be used. And that wasn't happening in the temple. It became a show. It became, wait, Jesus is going to label it here in a second. It's a, it's a den of thieves. It's a place of corruption. The most holy place had become the most corrupt place. They would even drive like nails, golden nails. They had to be gold on this temple. This is Herod's temple. They would drive like those golden spikes all around the perimeter on the upper part to what? To keep the birds away. You know how that works down here, right? Keep the birds away so they're not like defiling, you know, the holy stuff, right? I mean, they would go to great lengths to make sure that nothing got into outwardly defiled this place, but they did nothing about the inside. Nothing. And there's a, there's a great warning there for each and every one of us. Sometimes we get caught up in this thing of like, I, I'll, I'll play the part. I'll dress up the outside. But if you're not addressing the inside, if you're not given them access to inspect the temple, you're just playing a game. And we got too much of that going on in the church today. And this country, I love this country, but man, we have gone south concerning the church in America. And you don't believe me, here's a, st a statistic. I am one of 30% of pastors who actually holds a biblical worldview in America. 30%, 30-some-odd percent of pastors in this free country believe this thing and have a biblical worldview. That means 60-some-odd percent of pastors today, preaching today, don't have a biblical worldview. There's a good percentage of those guys who don't even believe this thing is legit, that this is even the spoken word, inerrant word of God. They don't even believe all the stuff in there, even about Jesus. Virgin birth, no, nah, that's not true really died on the cross? That's not true. Really rose from the grave? Not true. We better examine the inside. And man, if Jesus were to show up to Calvary Galveston, which he is always welcome and always invited, what notes is he taking about us? If he shows up to the Church of America, man, what notes is he making concerning the Church of America? Let him come in and inspect. Give him free access because whatever is in there that doesn't need to be in there, you want that out. It's going to do nothing but harm you. And it'll do nothing but harm other people. And that's the issue with this story. The people setting up the tables were damaging the reputation of God, but they were also hurting innocent people. Sun goes down, sun comes up. Verse 12, 
the next day when they had come out from Bethany. He was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Don't you love that? You should underline that verse in your Bible. Why? Because Jesus was hungry, because that's really cool. Do you get hungry? Okay, look, you and Jesus have something in common. He was a real person. He got hungry, right? He, maybe he's had a you know, late night of prayer or something, but he gets up, and they're walking to Jerusalem, and he's hungry. He's hungry. Jesus is a phantom. Phantoms don't eat, right? That's what they say. That's what some people say. Isn't that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Um, it should be. It, it really is. Um, Jesus walks up, wakes up, gets up, goes outside. He's hungry. Verse 13, and seeing from afar a fig tree. Fig trees are everywhere in Israel, okay? Fig trees are everywhere in Israel. And at this time, I mean, Scripture's going to tell us, they're not like producing fruit, but fig trees will have this, this ability to, to keep fruit on them. Okay, and this is a whole prophetic thing that's about to happen. He sees a fig tree from afar having leaves. That's key. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. That's a phrase you should underline as well. Nothing but leaves. For it was not season for figs. It was not the season for figs. In response, this is where it gets confusing. Jesus says to it, the tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And he curses the tree, and it dies, right? You're like, what? Jesus, that seems a little extreme, right? No, no, he's proving a point. This fig tree was already dead. This fig tree was already corrupt at its roots. Because for a fig tree to, to start producing leaves but not to have fruit was an unnatural thing with the fig trees that they were used to. I heard a guy speaking on this say that it was common for the fruit to come first before the leaves. So then when you saw a fig tree with leaves, it would automatically communicate to you that there was a presence of fruit. It had an outward showing of effectiveness. But then when Jesus walks up to the tree and examines the branches, just like he examined the temple, there's no fruit in this tree at all. There's an outward showing of fruit and fruitfulness, but there's no, there's no life in this thing. Nothing is happening. It's all show. It's all show. No figs. And Jesus, he uses this to illustrate the nation of Israel at this time. A lot of outward displays of righteousness. A lot of, you know, it, it looked right from the outside. But when you got up close to it and you started examining it, it's missing the most important thing for a fruit-bearing tree, and that's fruit. Fruit. Fruit-bearing trees should produce fruit. Here's the deal. John chapter 15, right? John chapter 14, chapter 15. I think it's 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. You, want to pro- you are meant to produce fruit. You, you're just a branch, okay? You're a branch connected to the vine, and your source of life comes from the vine, And when you are connected to the vine, life flows through you to produce fruit. That's your role. That's the part you play in this beautiful thing called life. God's like, I want to connect you to my vine so that you bear fruit for me. And then you produce fruit for him. And then he comes and he cuts off all that fruit. And you're like, that's my fruit. And he says, no, that's my fruit. And I'm clearing it out. Why? So that you bear more fruit so that you bear more fruit. This fig tree was dead. 
at the roots. It was already, de- it was already decaying. I mean, it looked right. It looked good from a distance. But when you got up close to it, it wasn't, it wasn't what it claimed to be. It wasn't what it claimed to be. And Jesus uses this beautiful illustration to show this is the nation of Israel. You look good from a distance. You look righteous. But there's no righteousness in you at all. That's the issue with the temple. And he uses this fig tree to, to explain that. And his disciples, that, that last little tag on there, his disciples heard it. Other gospel accounts would be like, yeah, they heard him curse this tree. Then they show up the next day, and this thing is totally withered and completely dead. And they're like, holy cow, Jesus, you just killed that tree, right? And he's like, um, well, I just revealed that the tree wasn't actually what it was. I just exposed this tree for who it really was. And I was a fruitless poser is what it was. And he's about to walk into the temple and explain or expose some more fruitless posers within the kingdom of God. Posers, you're familiar with that term, right? Anybody grow up in skating like me? No? Okay. Um, Fakes, phonies, claiming to be something, but you are not that. You are not that. I just need to clarify that just in case. Um, Some people were with me. Some people are like, I think I know what he's saying. Yeah. Posers, we get it. We see them all the time. This story always uh, sticks out in my brain. When I lived in Amarillo, Nellie and I had purchased our first house for all of $45,000, y'all. $45,000 for a three-bedroom house. Are you kidding me? Where have those days gone? Um, that was our first house, too, that we bought. Uh, it was amazing. Anyways, there's this little kid that lived down a couple of houses down from us. And, and one day, I'm out in the yard doing some work. And this kid's just being nice, friendly, talkative kid. I don't know. Um, he just shows up, and he starts talking to me. And so he starts telling me about all these amazing skater tricks that he can do, right? And I grew up skating. So I'm like, okay, I know what you're talking about. And he's, he's naming them. I'm like, really? You do that? Like, you're only 10 years old. Like, I'm like, okay, uh-huh. Well, come to find out, he does all these tricks on a video game called Tony Hawk Skateboarding Video Game. And I'm like, dude, bro, like, what was it? it well, he's a poser. He's not, that kid's not a skater. I mean, video games he was. Racking up all kinds of high scores, but in real life, he can do anything. He can even stay on the board, right? That's a poser, right? An innocent one, but you get what I'm saying, right? So, unfortunately, in this story, these are not innocent ones. These are not innocent phonies. These are grown men who are aware of what the word says, but they don't live it out, they don't put it into action. The book of James says you're supposed to be not just hearers of the word, doers of the word. And that was absent with people who were running the temple during these days. So Jesus goes on, leaves the fig tree. And now he's, he's going to be hangry, right? Like he didn't get any figs. And now he goes into the temple and he's like, I'm going to overturn these tables. And on an empty stomach. Never sin though, right? He's, here he goes. Verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. No fanfare this time. Where are the crowds? Where's the cheer squad? No, there's no cheer. I mean, I understand Palm Sunday was historically significant, like on that day from the book of Daniel, on that day to the exact day he, walked, he rode, just like the prophecies had said, into Jerusalem on that cult, on that day. So I get it, the significance of that. It's also the day when all the sacrificial lambs were marched into Jerusalem, same day. So he shows up on Monday. No fanfare, no nothing. 
He's got his crowd with him, his, his disciples and some other ones. And he went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Okay, so let's pause there. So he goes right into the temple. He already has his plan in place. Maybe the night before, he had already constructed his little whip, right? You know, there could have been that scenario, but he was ready. He goes into the temple, and he begins to drive out those who bought and sold within the temple. Now, within the temple, here's, here's technically what's happening here. This is in the court of the Gentiles. So what these Jews did was they preserved their sacred place, and the place that was meant for the Gentiles who wanted to show up to the temple and worship, they had their own courtyard established for them. Old Testament temple, that wasn't so. This is only New Testament temple stuff. You also had a court, uh, an area for the ladies too. But in the courtyard of the Gentiles is where they decided to set up the market, communicating to foreigners, to Gentiles, you don't matter that much to us. You can share space with livestock. You can share space with doves, pigeons, sacrificial animals, the money changers. That's where you can do church. You don't matter that much to us because you're not one of us. Oh, you can worship with us, kind of, but you're not one of us. Let's make that distinction clear. You're not one of us. And even if you want to convert to Judaism, you'll still never technically be one of us. A lot of like sectarianism within, the, within this temple life. A lot of division, walls that were set up that were never intended to be there. Were never intended to be there. And they were really good about making sure that outsiders knew, you're an outsider, we're the special chosen people, which the Jews are. He's not done with the Jews by the way, he is not done with the Jews. But there was this arrogance that came over them. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, there is no denying it. You just do a reading through the Old Testament and you see it from book to book. The intention was not just for the Jews, but for all nations, for all nations. But here in this temple, well, we got our courtyard and we got, we'll build them their courtyard, but we're kind of running out of space. So let's, you know what, let's make it convenient for all the churchgoers. Let's put the market and the livestock feeds and all that stuff, let's put that in the courtyard of the Gentiles so it's more convenient for people coming to church. Who cares about the Gentiles? They want to show up, they can show up, but they'll share space with cattle. You want to come to church? Well, you come to church, that's fine. But you're, you're not going to be a part of us. This is kind of the mentality that was going on back then. It's, it's disgusting. It's gross. This is a poor representation of God. This is a poor representation of God who created human beings in his image. And the first two that he made, technically, were not even Jewish. They were Adam and Eve. They had no nationality. They were made from dirt. Well, he was made from dirt, and then she was taken from his side. You get what I'm saying? Hope 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.